I fell I fell in love with the club, which led me to fall in love with rugby. I didn't even know you could play rugby in the U.S. Uh, you know, I had seen it every once in a while on ESPN, and, and I'd be like, oh, that's interesting. I don't know what the hell is going on, but this is interesting. I think the advent of the World Cup in 2031 and 2033 mm-hmm. will help, but I think initially it has hurt. What was an aspect that you kept seeing reoccurring, whether subtly or very direct, that made you go like, oh, this might be one of the blot- these um, bottlenecks that might be impacting the development of U.S. rugby? The problem that America faces when it comes to rugby is so big because America is so big. I think the minute I stepped on a practice field for rugby... The calling happened. An eight-year plan to be on the team. And I was in it within two years. Don't wait until you are a pro to be a pro. right? And I walk around with a rugby ball sometimes and they're like, what is this child on? It looks like it was a heavy hit. It's up. It's not up. You know, that's the first time I played, like, professional. I'm making rugby money. How can I make money outside of it? And there's two Scottish guys and they said, oh, you're, um, you're here for the movie. That rugby is a game for all shapes and sizes, all cultural um, aspects. He looked at me and he said, you guys are awesome. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another great episode of Grow Rugby. My name is Gift Gift Tommy Bailu. And of course, this is the show where we speak to people about the opportunities that they have found created or taken advantage of via rugby y'all uh this was a wild weekend not the greatest weekend for usa rugby but but it's a great weekend for women's rugby overall the rugby world cup 2021 2022 women's rugby world cup started this weekend some not really great matches actually to be perfectly honest with you the matches weren't great but it was great rugby that was played Clear dominance in the top half of the bracket. You know, England, France, uh, New Zealand, Australia, even though they technically lost New Zealand. Um, just just really kind of a wipeout on, uh, 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 on rugby. But we got to see the power players really show. And, uh, yo, it was really what's up. Italy, uh, obviously, beating USA women. But this was just week number one. We still got... Five more weeks of this next week to reset. We're going to go again. USA getting number one. I'm telling you. All right. But it was it was good to be able to see a Rugby World Cup come back and be able to catch the highlights and, and some of the games as you were. But in the meantime, we got an amazing guest for you. Yo, this man just wrote an amazing book. This is Rugby. Uh, uh, really interesting book. Uh Loved the context. I got a chance to be able to talk about it it myself um, and be a part of the book. Um, Adam Hughes, man, I forgot. I didn't even say the name. Adam Hughes is on the podcast, man. A uh, great conversation that we had overall. I'm I'm not even gonna lie. Like between where rugby is, his story, the process of writing the book. Like I I couldn't get enough, and I could have had this conversation forever. It's my guy. And I hope you guys get a chance to check it out. It's on Amazon. It is the number one book in rugby in the world on Amazon. All right. Number one. 
Get it right. And even if it's not number one, it might be number two. But I'm going to say number one because this is what we do over here. We're going to get it to number one. But great text, great book. Just, I loved it, man. I loved it. On top of that, guys, I don't want you guys to forget. Definitely check out the Rugby Outlet Mall. Get your rugby shirts. We got the orders in. We are ready to distribute these things out. And, of course, because you guys are listeners on here, you guys get to use our coupon code, promo code, GROWRUGBY, G-R-E-A-U-X, RUGBY. Definitely get 10% off of anything in the store Rock it out, man, and uh, definitely want to be able to get a chance to to do what you got to do with it. And, of course, you know, whether it's a rugby life, it's a rugby pal shirt, uh, uh, you know, get you ready for your rugby bay. I mean, it's not February yet, but, you know, start getting through, and then we might throw some stuff in for uh, Halloween coming up. So just let it be known, hey, you got something to go to. But in the meantime, guys, I also don't want you to please, 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 don't forget to share this with your friends. Uh, subscribe to it on YouTube. Follow and uh, 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 follow the the podcast on your platform that you're listening to, and uh, so you can get more notifications. Definitely like this on YouTube. Like this or leave a comment on the podcast. I definitely appreciate it, and I know even with the inconsistencies, you guys have been consistently being able to listen, and I appreciate you fully. So in the meantime, I'm not going to hold you guys off any bit longer. Adam Hughes, author, coach, player, and of course, the historian now of American rugby. Check it out. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another great episode of Grow Rugby. My name is Gift Gift Time Available, and of course, we got a V, incredible I, and of course, the P's of P's, the, the person of persons. Yes, the P's of P's going through. Just wrote a book, another big one. I got to be in it, so of course, I'm biased towards it. This is Rugby with Adam Hughes. Adam, man, thank you so much for coming through. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for having me, Gift. I really appreciate it. Love talking to you. Uh, I've always uh, loved what you're doing and and what you continue to do. I'm a big fan, and so I'm really glad to glad to be in here. Man, I, I appreciate it, and and the feeling is absolutely mutual. Uh, you know, whenever you we we, we contacted, this was what uh, almost two three months ago. Yeah, and um, you know, you were talking about the wrapping up on the book and, and the story. I think that was the most I've actually said about my story. The most detail I think I might have put into telling anybody my story and not been like, all right, do I need to shorten this? Are they getting bored? <laughs> Are they getting tired? So if you were, you'd hit it incredibly well. Not at all. <laughs> not at all. Yeah, love it. I, I love hearing, you know, that's the thing that I love about rugby in America is almost all of us came to the sport from a non-traditional uh, path. Right. It's not like, you know, where you started playing basketball when you were seven or you started playing football when you were eight. You know, it, it's everyone has this really unique journey. And I love seeing that. And I love hearing that. And I never get tired of hearing those stories of how people got into this really niche sport. Uh, right. And I think that's that's one of the most fascinating things about about this community. 
Dude, and and that that you know you're exactly right. It's it's one of the parts that have always made it very interesting to me to maintain is because, like you said, those stories are are unique. Each one, while their similarities are rarely mm-hmm. ever the same. Which, right. I mean, you can say about many stories, but it like it, it feels differently because those same stories uh, uh, amplify the significance of what the sport ended up yeah. doing for them as a whole, as not and not just as an athlete or. Yeah want to be athlete or anything like that it seems to always have this wild ripple effect that like adjusted the the direction of their lives yep yeah i think there's something about coming to a sport as a fully formed adult right and and doing something and it's not just a sport it's anytime you do something new as an adult it has a different flavor than if you started it when you were a kid right, right. if you if you go and and take a uh Brazilian jiu-jitsu class now, that's going to be different than if you took a karate class when you were 11, right? right? It's just right. it's a different mentality. It impacts you differently. And, and it's, 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 it has a different weight to it. True. True story. True story. I agree fully. Well, before we start getting into this, uh, I always like to say every superhero has their origin story and it's what allows us to be able to set the basis of what is and what will be. So to get your superhero origin story, Adam, I have one question for you. Yeah. How did you get started with rugby? Yeah, it was it was a one of those roundabout unusual stories, right? And in in many ways, I've heard this story from a lot of other people as I've done this book, but I had moved to Virginia um, with a largely disintegrating marriage. Oh, we wow. came down here to kind of get a new start from Ohio, which I, where I had lived. Um, the marriage didn't, didn't last even with the move. And so I found myself two States away from home, uh, not really knowing anyone right. uh, working at a bank during the day and bartending at night and just kind of going through life, you know, sort of zombieing through life. I was in my 30s, perpetually skinny, uh, had always avoided things that were difficult or painful or unpleasant. That was kind of my MO going through life. Right. And I was bartending and the local rugby club were, were regular um, guests of mine. And so I got to know them. I didn't even know you could play rugby in the U.S., uh, you know, I had seen it every once in a while on ESPN and, and I'd be like, oh, that's interesting. I don't know what the hell is going on, but this is interesting. Um, yeah. But I didn't, it was certainly nothing I had ever considered doing myself, right? It's about as likely as me skydiving. I wasn't going to do that. And, <laughs> well, and, never say never, apparently. <laughs> I've learned that. Never say never. And so the guys came in and we, we'd talk and eventually they were like, well, why don't you, why don't you come out? And I, I literally remember saying to them, have, have you seen me? Like are, you're looking at me, right? And they're like, no, no, no. They gave that old rugby cliche line that we give new people, which is there's Anybody a position for rugby. everyone, yeah. right? Which I was certain was just, they wanted me to be cannon fodder. Um, and that, I was certain of that. You were, you were so like, look, look, do you guys need practice dummies? Like, exactly. is this what we're trying to do right yeah. now? <laughs> that was what I envisioned. And so I, I was like, nah, I'm not going to do that. And I went home and I, I distinctly remember going home to this horrible, like, 
drafty apartment and going, you know what? Why not? Like yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not been someone who's stuck with things. I've not been someone who takes risks. Screw it. Let's do it. And so I, I literally ordered the book rugby for dummies Yo, off Amazon go. that night because I knew nothing about the game. Uh, I, I read it before practice. I go to my first practice. Um, didn't know what I was doing. Uh, overwhelmed, old, out of shape. <laughs> and yet I absolutely fell in love with the community and the brotherhood of the sport and kept going back. And, and next thing I know, I'm the, the club president and, and wow. coaching and, you know, still occasionally hobble my, my skinniness out there, but you know, you know get, get on the that's awesome. So wait, which club was it that, that brought you in? It's Blackwater RFC in nice. Lynchburg, Virginia. Uh, we're a D three club. Uh, but just, you know, one of those run of the mill American small town clubs, uh, just absolutely, uh, fell in love with the group of guys. Uh, I got married this past January and all of my, thank you. All of my groomsmen were, were teammates, uh, or former teammates, you know, guys who had been on that first team and then moved on, but they, they came back for, for the wedding. And so just, that was really an example for me of the bonds and the community that that drew me to this game i tell people i fell in love with rugby because i fell in love with the people at the club it wasn't vice versa i wasn't already in love with rugby and then found this club i fell i fell in love with the club which led me to fall in love with rugby dude i love that I love that. You know, I, I kind of just want to backtrack a little bit. You know, obviously you said from Ohio and obviously came to Virginia starting afresh. Yeah. Was, was, did, uh, for you, you, were you not a sports person at all or was your family one and it just was something that disassociated from you? Like, what was your relationship before the, the Virginia yeah. time? I have always been a massive sports fan. Um, massive. But, much of my sports fandom was intellectual, mm. right? So I knew, I mean, I grew up, I was a huge Cincinnati Reds baseball fan. Um, and to this day, so I was eight years old in 1990 when the Reds won the World Series out right. of nowhere. Hadn't won one since the 70s, haven't won one since. Um, to this you day, know, the 80s were such a hot time for Cincinnati sports. Oh, I know. <laughs> I mean, you had the icky shuffle in football, right? You had, you know, Boomer Esiason. Right. Yeah. And, and then and you the guys Reds, somehow, you guys angered somebody and then were just decided to be like cursed from Very then much. on. Ever since. Ever since. Um, but I, to this day, as a 40-year-old, I can recite the starting lineup of that 1990 Cincinnati Reds team. Of course. Um, so I, I was always goal. intellectual. Yeah. Right. And so I played basketball all my life growing up. Um, ran track, those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Um, never a contact sport, but I was always a huge fan. Again, oh, okay. I was from Central Ohio, so Ohio State Buckeyes were in my blood. You know, right. it was a birthright; it wasn't a choice. Uh, <laughs> and and so, sports were always huge in my family and and with myself, but just yeah. not always at the participational level. Right, right. Again, it, 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 which you know what to, to the element that's a lot of where I think majority of sports come from, despite yep. the fact of everybody having their high school sports story 
for most part, it usually ends about that point and yeah. maybe doesn't even rise that much even there. Just there was a little bit of participation. We played soccer whenever we were kids, yep. yada, yada, to that effect. And I, I know for the Midwest, I, I'm an Iowa guy, yeah. you know, in my in my middle. So I understand a lot of the dynamics that come with that, uh, um, you know, again, a very contained yeah. <laughs> element to 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 how sports is done and, and participation is palatable at that at best. Absolutely. Yeah. So for you, you know, with this always having in mind, was there after like high school, was it kind of just like no more sports and just kind of day in and day out as, as per usual? Or was there anything that you still like rec league stuff or anything like that beforehand? I did a little bit of rec league um, basketball every once in a while, you know, old man basketball at the YMCA or, uh, you know, did some some rec league soccer. Uh, yeah. I became a big soccer fan um, of the Columbus crew in Major League Soccer. And so I had season tickets there and we uh, do stuff with that. But again, a lot of it was was still um, intellectual and and recreational and, you know, outside of hitting the golf course a couple times a week. It was, it was mostly just watching it in person or, or on TV and, and following it that way. Word. So I, that, and it sets kind of an interesting base because the way that you tell the stories is, is one that comes from a perspective and I've only gotten to read excerpts from the book, yeah. but, um, uh, but the one that you've, that you, you have kind of tells uh, um, so much more of a story that feels first person almost Mm -hmm. it feels you know you're you're there as opposed to it being like technical maybe technical is the wrong word but more uh omnipotent uh over the top you know so i i get that even from you from the fandom whenever it's something that you're so already intrigued in you already have that innate natural understanding of how to go about things yeah absolutely yeah and yeah yeah i i i view myself in this book as not just a storyteller, um, but I realized early on that I was becoming less the storyteller and more just the the vehicle for other people to tell their stories. Right. Uh, you know, just sort of the repository of stories. And then I just became the the conduit of, of other people's stories, you know, because like we said, everyone has a story when it comes to their their rugby journey in particular. Um, because so few of us came up with it and so you know we all have those those stories and i think those stories are are valuable and and i want to be the the mouthpiece for those i think that one is one that became that's i mean it's so important because we it's easy to retell and some of these are just not necessary not only just not necessary but the nuance of them and where we go back again to say there's so many similar stories, but that nuance mm-hmm. is where the difference makes the biggest change for it. Yep. For you, was this obviously you, 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 this was a big endeavor of its own, but had you already been a person that already liked writing stories, yeah. whether short stories or anything like that? Right. Could you, English major already by, by, right. by uh, practice, no? Yeah. And I, I have a, a master of fine arts in creative writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so bo- most of my background has been in poetry. Um, I've had, you know, four collections of poetry published and, and, um, I've always said I have a poet's attention span. 
where you know it's it's limited like i can i can sit down and write a poem and 20 minutes later i'm done i put it aside and i'm moving on to something else you're gone <laughs> yeah so you had this moment was, and we're exactly. good now <laughs> this is my first time really sitting down and doing something long form yeah um, book length and and i had thought about it for a couple years and i was like you know what i'm just going to keep thinking about this unless i start doing it and right. so i sat down one night after a rugby practice and I pulled up uh, Google and in, uh, social media and just started making a list of all the rugby clubs in America that I could find. And I just started firing off emails, sending off instant messages, sending off um, DMs and just was like, you know, what? I'm going to I'm going to put myself in a corner here and make myself do this. Because once people started responding, I was like, all right, we're in this, you know, yep. we, we, we're, we're, we're in. I, I got to do it. I feel like that's one of the things that come when it comes to the rugby that come with that comes that comes with the rugby community itself. Like it almost because it's it, it it's very small, despite also being very large, but yeah. being very small, at least very intertwined, feels that once you started eliciting responses back, and most of them are always gonna be interested. Oh yeah, it's like okay, I don't have a choice because if you just drop this ball in here and then do exactly. nothing with it. Like people, I feel like people start going like, yeah, what, what, what was going on here? Like, what, yep. what do we have going on? What, what's going on? And it will ripple effect through oh, the countryside of like, yo, there's yeah. some random guy just like. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I, and Danny Barrett, I talked to him and he said that rugby is the, the biggest small community in the world. Right. Um, you know, and yeah, once, once I realized that, that I would start talking to people and they'd be like, oh yeah, I've heard about, I've heard about what you're doing. And I'm like, see that that could go either way, you know. Right. Like, like it worked out well, but if I if I had come off somewhere as a dick or mm -hmm. as you know someone who was trying to get a scoop or you know make something look bad, that would have rippled too, and I wouldn't yes. have gotten anywhere. Yeah, and that's and that's it, it, it's the interesting. I don't want to say catch twenty two, but the interesting dynamic of yep. of of this uh, uh, phone tag community that we have at some yep. points. Oh, yeah, I love it. So, kind of like jumping back. So, you 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 started into rugby, and and uh, um, and if I get too deep, just tell me, hey, back up, and we don't have no, to answer. Don't worry. Uh, you know, this is what we do. We press. We press That's a little right. bit. That's right. I'm an open book. But, but in this time period that you started playing rugby, did it? When did it start? Was was the marriage already dissolved at that point, yeah. or yeah. was it like kind of simultaneously? No, that, that was over. I was I was living on my own. Um, I was kind of trying to figure out what life was going to look like mm -hmm. and, you know, sort of reassemble some some identity. Um, yeah. I hadn't been, you know, single in, in years and years and years. And I was like, you know, I don't really know what this looks like. I don't right. we, she had had friends down here. You know, she had lived down here previously. And so everyone we knew she knew right and i didn't so right. i i didn't have really anyone outside of like the the four or five people that worked with me at the bank um and then a couple of people that worked at the bar you know and so i was right. like i i'm a social person i need some need that communication aspect yeah. like there yeah. needs to be an outlet to be able to this transact tra information yes. together 100 <laughs> percent. and i'm an only child so uh, like the, the concept of brotherhood has always resonated really, really deeply with me. Yeah. Uh, and it's always been really difficult to find. 
and what I experienced in coming out to rugby from from day one was, dude, these guys like are serious about community, uh, and you know it it just that's what got its hooks in me uh, was the the community and the brotherhood and the connection. With, I needed it in that moment, uh, and and it was it was there. Nice, you know. I, I, I always find that interesting point wherever you, you you see the intertwinement, not just of the camaraderie, but whenever you see the intertwinement of what happens with your club and then uh, uh, how it connects into how you end up connecting with the opponents yep. that you play with. Yeah. You know, I, I always say, and you, obviously you heard this, but, you know, whenever I first started, for me, there was always, I mean, there's your, your friends and your people, but because I didn't know rugby, I just knew sports. And I, especially with uh, football, I knew contact sports. So it was just like, all right, you know, you at least try and get that job done. Yeah. And you work and you have fun and, you know, you can chill, but you're never really that super close. Uh, or or you, there's always a little bit of resistance. But, like, as I got more and more engaged in, and then obviously when it came to dealing with your opponents, yeah. you're just like, no, those are your opponents. Like, you, the enemy. you're cool. Up to the up to the point, like right. you can't you can't be too cool with people that you're trying to smash, right? And I think for the first like year year and a half, that was my mindset until we start playing the same people over and over again, yeah. and they'd be like, "Hey, man, all right, let let let's talk this out." And then you start going on on trips and tours, and you're like, yeah. "Yo, you guys are all right, you, right? You, you guys right? are dope." <laughs> and that's the the weird thing is that that happens organically. Uh, like, yes, there's old boys who are around going, this is how we do things. Sure. That exists. Um, but even without them, it, like you said, when you play the same guys over and over and there's a, there's something about rugby that paradoxically encourages vulnerability, right? We are a, a, you know, dog eat dog smash mouth sport. And it is, uh, but there's something about it where I know what it takes to step across the chalk line wearing a short sleeve shirt and short shorts and maybe a mouthpiece. And that's it. And, and being out there and vulnerable and exposed. And I know what that takes. And so anyone else who does that, whether they're on the other side or on my side, has my respect. Word. And in a way that I don't think we often articulate or even are conscious about, but we get this respect that carries over, especially like you said, when you see the same person two, three times a season, and then you begin to go, okay, all right. I, I, I like that dude. You know, I like how he carries himself. I, I like that we can go at each other. I like, you know, that how we are the social. Exactly. (laughs) I know that, if I knock him down, I'm helping him up. And if he knocks me down, he's helping me up. You know, and, and there's just something that is incredibly special about that in this sport. No, I love that. With that in mind, who was your first story that you picked up uh, whenever you put it for the book? Uh, so the first story, gosh, um, I think it was a guy named BT Shea uh, out in Denver. Uh, he's with the Denver Barbarians. Uh, he's, uh, helped run their sevens program recently. And he started an organization called rugby rent scholarships Mm -hmm. where they, um, are bringing people in, 
uh, to Denver. They bought a house that the the scholarship recipients live in. Nice, uh, so they, like a frat house yeah, without yeah. It being a frat. <laughs> exactly. They they play for the Barbos, and then they have like four pillars to this program where they give them mentorship. Uh, they help them find career options. They help them obviously playing rugby and then they get them involved in the community. Um, and it's a really cool, cool setup. And I remember uh, he was the first person that I talked to on the phone for this yeah. project. I had done some emails and stuff, but he was the first phone conversation. And I remember him saying something and being like, can this part be off the record? And I had this moment of going, he asked me if this could be off the record. I'm a real journalist. Like, this, <laughs> this is crazy. Like, that, that's something that you see in the movies. Like, it was this moment where I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, he just, like, yeah. I, I like, had this little, uh, like, out-of-body moment where I was like, I've this is it. I've arrived. I, I'm official. Things are off the record now. Like, yeah. this is, this is <laughs> a thing. <laughs> Uh, I, I have made this. Yeah. My label has been set. <laughs> and it sounds so funny, but it's so true. I was like, and even even after that, like over the year that I was doing this, if someone would say, I just still get this little thrill of like, you know, being in this inner sanctum of like suddenly now being the guardian of secrets. You have now become the gatekeeper. That's right. The repository That's right. of information, the library of knowledge. That's right. It, it's it's all right here. You know, yeah. <laughs> I love it. It, it was it was great. Oh. You know? But that was sort of my first okay, I'm doing this story and, and moment. No. And I think and that, that's real. Like, you know, I, I, I I'm always gonna say, as I told you, all right, we're just gonna preface that as as right. like, forever preface, as I told you, yeah. But like it always was that that part of it when it came to again doing media stuff yep. where the vulnerability of people becomes more it, be, it becomes weighted for you not in a negative way but it's like they're giving you a chance to 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 obviously filter and distribute this information but trust you with yep. this information and how it gets handled and you always wonder i love how you said it was like it feels like it was in the movies because i know for me it was always like that same feeling where you, you step in and you see in the movies, oh, you know, the people on the press boxes yep. or you 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 get the, the dark corner conversation yep. or you're with your notepad and you're, you're going through and just trying to type out or, or, or film out or edit this story. And for me, being able to tap in there, mm -hmm. what always felt and I always tell these people what always felt like it was a distance, like irregardless, like if I hadn't done media. Let's say to this day, I just simply was playing rugby and yeah. somebody told me, hey, you know, let's talk to Danny Barrett or let's talk to Perry Baker. Yep. That would be like, yo, you got ends. Right. You have real ends to this. Like, irregardless of whatever you want to say rugby's at, it yep. feels like it is a huge gateway. But entering into this, everybody became so many more people became accessible, like yeah. weirdly accessible. And yep. then it just started making me question the accessibility of literally all the other systems of media that goes yeah, around. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I, I realized that early on where I was, I was speaking with someone and he was a well-connected rugby individual and he's like, okay, how can I help? I'm like, I'm just trying to find people to talk to. 
Yeah. And, you know, I, I made a lot of inroads at the club level. And I was like, I want to get, I want to get the high performance level too. Right. And he's like, okay, uh, here's, here's so-and-so's phone number. And, and this so-and-so would be, you know, Dan Lyle or Alex Corbisiero. Yeah. Um, he's like, here's so-and-so's phone number. Here's this, here's, I'm like, I don't feel like I should have this information. Right. <laughs> I, I feel, not, am I ready for this? <laughs> I feel transgressive at this point. Like, I don't, is this okay? Like, he's like, yeah, they're expecting you. And I'm like, okay. Um, and, and even then I would still send a text and I'd be like, is this okay? I don't know. Um, but it was just, there's something of, and I think it's a rugby thing. Um, you know, just the, the level of, and, and the number of people who would say something and then go, don't put that in the book. And I'd be like, okay. But, but there was a, a trust there, like you mentioned that, um, was was really uh important to me and something that i didn't take lightly because you know i don't think that exists in a lot of other places uh you know especially in in 2022 america trust is a a really rare commodity right you know especially with people who you don't know and so you know having that in this community uh, was just something that really stuck with me and really blew me away was the the accessibility and the fact that people said, you know, it didn't have anything to do with me. Right. It was like, we believe in what you're doing. We believe in this project and we want to support it. Uh, you know, I, I just happened to be the one who picked up the ball and ran with it. Right. You know, it could have been anyone. They would have responded the same way. And right. that's, I think, just so telling about the quality of the individuals and the the nature of the sport. Well, I will say this. I disagree with you that it could have been anybody because I think, again, the reason why and that you're capable of doing it is because of the fact that you had the awareness of it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, and we've seen this even in or out of community, a person can be able to have the access, mm-hmm. but not have the emotional intelligence of what it means to do that. Yeah. And even more so, can lack the objectivity to be able to discern between vulnerability and not necessarily just offense, but vulnerability and a position that might not make the most um, directional sense yeah. uh, for it. So understanding and discerning that, that comes off one your initial states are set that up, but then you create a uh, a vibe of sort for people to be able to open up to it. Like, I know whenever I talk to you about it, um, I was just like, I don't really care what happens. Like, yo, say whatever it is. Right, Even if it's right. to me at this point, but I, I know if somebody, and I think, again, maybe it helps, to, again, the awareness where it's like, I know if somebody's coming and asking this mm-hmm. and you're putting something like this together. I know the, I understood the effort that it took. And so it was like, yo, take whatever it is that you need with the information, because for whatever it is, that's going to be done. You are going to end up having to deal with whether how it works or doesn't work. (laughs) And you're putting yourself as a pinpointed target and having that emotional understanding to understand that there's a win. There's, there could be big wins or there could be big losses all depending on how you display that information out. And, uh, Sounds like it's been so far a, a pretty big win in, in, in all I think of so. I think, I think it helped. I think it's worth mentioning. I think it helped that 
I have always and continue to view myself as really a, a just a, a nobody in the rugby community. You know, I mean, I played for for five, six years at a D3 club in the middle of Virginia. Um, you know, I played below average scrum half. And, you know, that was that was my rugby resume yeah. in its totality. Uh, and and so I I didn't come into this with an agenda of greatness with a, you know, I'm I'm this and I'm this and I'm this and I've done this because I haven't. Uh, and so, you know, I think that that was something that I continue to carry with me. And, you know, I think that it helps because, you know, I I'm not there to to swap stories with with someone who's played for for 20 years. I'm, right. I'm there to listen. I'm right. there to tell their story because my story yeah, it's it's significant in that we all have a story. Word. And I, I tell the story in the book because I think it's important to ground where I'm coming from. If you're going to be reading my words, I think it's important that you know, you know, where how I came to this. Uh, but but at the end of the day, I'm the least important person in that book. Like it's it's all of these stories that make the game what it is. And I think that that has gone a long way to, you know, I'm not, I'm not competing with anybody in this book. I'm not competing with anyone I spoke to. Right. Uh, I, I want to get out of the way and let them, let them be the star uh, of, of their story. No, I love that. I love that. You know, as you're doing this, <clears throat> you get so many, like we said, we get so many different stories, but I think there's a difference between, getting so many rugby stories and getting so many stories that happen to have rugby yep. for you in, in a situation, I, I love to speak to the cultural elements because one of the biggest aspects of rugby is the fact that it has a massive range on cultural yes. Yes. Uh, dissonance uh, between each other. And one thing when it comes to us rugby, especially has been the fight of trying to find identity yep. in rugby. Um, I find an identity that's specific to the U S that uh, uh, that works through rugby as opposed to maybe a, a, a amalgamation of somebody else's yep. rugby from around the country. But of course, that also plays because the U.S. is an amalgamation of different cultures. 100%. For you, in your opinion, what was one story that you can, you know, previous to that you felt was culturally deeper than you expected it to be and also resonated in a way that simultaneously the re- the way that it resonated for that person um, uh, definitely changed. Maybe adjusted the way that you saw rugby, or reconfirmed that 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 depth that you you understood from rugby. Yeah, yeah. I'll give you a couple. Um, and and to preface it, like I realized about midway through that I was approaching this not as a sports writer. Uh, I was approaching this as almost an anthropologist. Uh, and, and looking at, because I'm also a big culture guy and, and I want to know this, I, I made very clear early on, this was not going to be a book of who won what and right. who played in this and who won this championship and who, what league did this. I couldn't care less. I mean, I, I love that stuff, but that's not, but what it's, about. Yeah. not what the book's about. It's not the heart of the book. The heart of the book is the cultures and the stuff that, as you said, you know, rugby is a part of the story 
but it's not the whole story. And so a couple of those that really resonated for me, um, one was I talked to a guy named Mark Burke, uh, who is out of Washington, D.C. And Mark is profoundly deaf and started playing rugby uh, with Frederick RFC up in Maryland uh, as he and a friend were the only uh, deaf individuals on the team. And that really resonated. I'm deaf in one ear. Mm-hmm. Um, and I notice when I play, because I'm deaf in one ear, I can't tell where sound is coming from. Yeah. My depth perception doesn't work. And so if someone's on my right or my left, if they say my name, I don't know where they are. Uh, and so I know that's difficult, but I know that pales in comparison to being profoundly deaf. Right. And, and so I talked to Mark and Mark had, uh, in the early 2000s, founded a team called All Deaf RFC. Mm-hmm. Uh, which was an all-deaf rugby club uh, in Washington, D.C. Uh, and that that whole experience and that whole identity was fascinating to me of how you take what most would see as a hindrance or a disability and you change it around into a, a context like rugby and the adaptations that are required uh, but the perseverance that's required and, and more than that, the, the success that they see, you know, and in a similar vein, I talked to a guy from the Pittsburgh Steel Wheelers who are a wheelchair rugby club. Nice. Uh, and I, I remember asking him, I said, what, what do most people get wrong when they talk about wheelchair rugby? And yeah. he said, he said two words, inspiration porn. He said, that's what we call it inspiration porn he's like we are not an inspiration we play rugby just like everybody else we are not an inspiration we are out here to play and compete and do everything that you do only we're in a wheelchair right Uh, and and that really changed how i viewed all those things that that statement yeah I, i and and that that is actually that makes sense and Again, something that I think unconsciously we we set aside. Like even even saying it out loud, it's like, yeah, yeah, no, you, you just got you're not you're not out here trying to be like, oh, right. oh, I have a rough. If I can do it, you can do it too. Right. Be right. better. But it's yeah. like, no, we just happen to play. Like just yeah. our, our 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 presentation of it has to be done differently. Yeah, and, and as soon as he said that, I had to mentally rewrite what I was planning on writing like yeah. in that moment, because I was a hundred percent going to take the inspiration angle because that's what, that's what we always does. do. That's, that's what sports the... writers do. That's exactly. what you do. Like that's, that's natural in, in how we view that. And, and so I had to take a second and go, okay, let's, let's change that. Uh, because his point was when people do that, it's to make themselves feel better. It's not to make us feel better. Right. And I was like, good point. You know, I yeah. recognized, yeah, like that was totally the angle I was going to take. And and I even wrote about that in that section where I was like, this is what he said. And he was right. And so I'm not going to end it this way. You know, this music's not going to swell. I'm right. going to end it with their ruggers. You know, that's it. That's all. That's all that's important. Uh, and, and it was, it was a real, uh, eye opener for me. And, and then the, the one other one that I want to share and I've shared in, in other interviews, um, it's, it's sort of my go-to that really 
changed my worldview and how I approached this book was Tamaris Montano, uh, who is a, a Navajo woman in Gallup, New Mexico, wow. who started a youth rugby organization on the edge of the Navajo reservation uh, in Gallup, New Mexico, with no money. Uh, kids who had never heard of rugby were living in poverty, with alcoholism, with domestic violence, with gangs. Um, she was traveling an hour and a half to play teams in Albuquerque who had been around for decades and just getting right. waxed. Um, and her story didn't go the way I anticipated it going. I was expecting that, you know, she built this program. It, it is going gangbusters and doing great things. And, and the reality is the program did really well um, against a lot of adversity. And then it kind of fell apart hmm. and she, got really emotional in sharing that story. Uh, and what ended up happening is some of the alumni from the program came back uh, and ended up founding a, a select squad called the Indigenous Warriors. Um, and they played a one-off against a team of Indigenous peoples from Australia. In uh, Gallup, New Mexico, uh, they played a one-off game that became a two-off game. And, and then they played more and they've now played in Mexico. They've played against um, First Nations peoples in Canada. They played against a team of Iroquois in New York. Uh, and, and it's just been this huge, hugely successful thing of the Indigenous Warriors that Tamaris now is coaching. Um, she has been a recipient of the Premiership Scholarship to go study uh, in England and, and just her joy is infectious, but her story was not linear and it wasn't all joy and it wasn't all success and it was real. And she was one of my absolute favorite people to talk to for this. Um, you know, and the, the emotion was there and the passion was there and the, the cultural differences were there. You know, she started, uh, all of our chats together with uh, a welcome in Navajo. She ended it with a, a blessing and a prayer in Navajo. And it was, it gave me goosebumps every time. Uh, awesome. So it was one of those things where it was so much bigger than rugby and so much more than, than a sport. And one of my absolute favorite and emblematic things about this whole process and journey was, was talking with her. And that feeling of <clears throat> seeing it bigger in the sport is is the one that I think caught me always the most uh, when doing it. I always talk about my Singapore to Tokyo journey. Yep. And while the, the, the process and the rugby and everything was great, it was knowing the impact yeah. that 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 it does. Because and I think it, I, I always wonder, I've thought about this for a long time, trying to figure out. Why does this one hit so different versus, you know, for me, other sports? Because it's not the first time we hear inspirational stories. Yeah. American football, baseball, feel the, feel the dream. Right. You know, Absolutely. You got My favorite that, movie of all time. Yeah. Exactly. Arguable. See, again, the Midwest is coming out. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, I'm telling you, I'll, I'll interject this. Every opening day of baseball season, I have a ritual. Yo. Since I was a kid, I watch Field of Dreams. <laughs> I cry at the same two spots every single year. 
and I eat a meatball sub. <laughs> it, it's ritual doesn't have to make sense, gift. It doesn't have to but make sense. It doesn't have to, but it, it, it as long as it hits, it impacts exactly the same and way it that it's supposed to each time. Yep. yep. Yo. <laughs> and see, and that's my point. Like we we have it, but for some reason, when it comes to this sport, and maybe because of the fact that it is a small big sport. Yeah. Um, that that you want to make sure that there's something else than just my personal desire, yep. or or there's a realization of my personal desire because, um, you you work in it, you play, but there's not really much of of, of what you would consider as a direct reward that comes right. from it outside of right. you know your your you know, what it is you feel. So what it is you feel ends up being the highest um yep. uh, currency of this. But knowing that there was something else bigger than that, whether it's it's Singapore to Tokyo or stories like MICR or yes. ISF or I was going to mention them, yeah, yeah, you know Avery it, Watts out at South LA Soul, right? Exactly, yeah. exactly. You know, you, you you're like, okay, this. It, I, I guess blasphemously saying it, it becomes almost a little bit of a religious experience. Yeah, there's I say in the book, there's an element of the cult to run. Yeah. Uh, you know, we are always evangelizing, right? We're we're always looking yep. for someone to come join us. Yeah, uh, we're, <laughs> Guys, we're come outside find of shopping malls. Like, come join us. <laughs> yeah, we're like the Hare Krishnas in the airport. You know, come on, you look you look like you play rugby. Come on, um, you know we we all have that, and it, it comes with it. And there's something about it where once it gets its hooks in you, uh, there is this element of of the church, you know, in it, and and you know I. I was a pastor for seven years. Yeah. Uh, I I understand the the pull of these things, the the yeah. pull of community. Uh, it doesn't always matter what is behind that community. Sometimes community is the thing that that you're selling. Right. And and I think with rugby, the way we get seventy five percent of our our new recruits is. The community. Community. Yeah. Yeah. There's some who they want the athletic challenge and they 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 don't play football anymore and they want the next thing. Sure, there's always yeah. going to be those. But I think the majority are guys like me who right. who just they they fit the community and and women who come along and, and they find that community there. Guys who come along and they find that community there. And I think that, you know, there's there's that you're right. That's it's almost a a spiritual experience. And I hate to over mystify right but it, but it, there is some of that unmistakably agreed agreed what was the process of selecting the people that you found obviously you spoke a little bit of about having people recommended but for you what was the initial because finding the clubs and shooting it out that's an everyday because you know you never know what clubs are going to be but yep. that there, within every club there's going to be at least 10 12 14 20 50 yeah. different stories involved in each one what was your process in being able to select the stories that you wanted to use for the books versus the ones that you were like, yeah, maybe not for this one. Yeah. Um, it was tough. Uh, it was really tough. I, I ended up speaking with a little over 500 clubs, individuals, and organizations, wow. uh, in, in the research for this book, I have nine yellow legal pads, full sized, full of notes, plus just threads of, uh, Facebook messages, emails, Instagram DMs. I mean, just volume after volume of information. And I 
hit a point in the book writing where I got completely overwhelmed. The paralysis uh, by was, analysis kind I of thing. I was having trouble going, how am I going to organize and present this information in a way that makes sense? Yeah. And and isn't just here's a story, here's a story, here's a story, here's a story. I, I there's gotta be a narrative thread here. There's gotta right. be some way to to organize all of this data. And and I actually went probably a month and a half doing nothing with it. I, I was yeah. just overwhelmed. Um I just couldn't I couldn't find my way in. And I had I thought I had a way in and it was bogging down and I, I just got really overwhelmed and discouraged and put it aside. Um, and then one night it was like, again, one of these overly mystical things. It was like one night in the middle of the night, I woke up and it was like fully formed in my head. And I had to get up out of bed and come out to my computer and like write it all down before I forgot. Get it out before it, it yes, disappears. Yes. <laughs> and and so I, it, it ended up being organized by, by region as sort of like a, a, a rugby road trip. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I still, as I went through, you know, I talked to clubs, I talked to individuals and I would, I would hear little bits of stories and go, Oh, I want to follow up on that. Mm -hmm. And so I'd, I'd follow up on, on these wild hairs. Um, and there were a couple like white whales, like people that I, I wanted so Absolutely. badly to talk yeah. to. And, and I would, I would, uh, have trouble getting them. So one was Nate Ebner, mm -hmm. um, you know, Nate Ebner, seven star, uh, Super Patriot. Bowl champion, Ohio State Buckeye. Okay, yep. he, he was he was like that's like premier, like right there. It's all he was there, and, and eventually I was able to connect with him. He was the coolest guy. Great conversation, but he was one of those I was like, okay, while I'm having these other conversations, I'm still tracking him down. Yeah, um, there was a, a club called Boston Maccabee, um, yeah. which is a, an old Jewish club, club in right? Boston. Yeah, um, and they they had caught my eye early on. I had found a social media posting um, at sort of the height of the the Trump uh, Muslim ban, mm -hmm. where they had posted about a picture of one of their wingers scoring a try and being hugged. That winger was a a Muslim from Morocco, mm -hmm. uh, and on this Jewish identity club, uh, which was a fascinating story and i'm like i i want to follow up on this and yeah it was one of those where for whatever reason it was incredibly difficult to make the connection i mean i was going through every back channel i could find wow. and just could not could not open the door until about you know three weeks before i called the book quits i finally got a hold of the founder we had an amazing, you know, hour and a half conversation and, awesome. and it came together at the end. So there was always those stories that I absolutely wanted more than anything else to, to have in there. And then the yeah. rest were just pleasant surprises. And then there were some where they were just absolutely phenomenal people, but they didn't have the, um, the hook that I was looking for. Or right. they had a hook that I already had. Right. Uh, and so they were great people, great men and women who I still have great relationships with. But I had to, to tell them later on, you know, it, it's, it didn't make it in, um, yeah. you know, and, and I'm hoping to write another one or, or keep going with the podcast and we're going to get your story out there. But it, it's not in there. 
And I hated that. It was one of the worst parts of the book was not being able to get everyone in there because everyone does have a great story. You know, that's the thing about it. Uh, I just, the book would have been 3000 pages long (laughs) writing it, you know, you, you didn't want to take a, a, a note from the book of uh, uh, Tolkien or a C.S. No, Lewis? No, no, I did not. Like novelize? Yeah, <laughs> I did know? not want, okay, this is volume 17, <laughs> right. uh, you know, and and I'd have four people who might read it. You know, I didn't want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> no, I love it. You know, especially when you hear all these stories, I know for me there, you, you, you kind of put, uh, start seeing a lot of similarities that go whether regionally or not. And when it comes to like how you saw the U.S. rugby, mm-hmm. what was an aspect that you kept seeing reoccurring, whether subtly or very direct, that made you go like, "Oh, this might be one of the blo- these um, bottlenecks that might be impacting the development of U.S. rugby, uh, rugby in the USA," and and it's something that we really need to pinpoint, but it seems to be missed over and over again so it as kind of a a weird answer to that i think the the single problem that i kept seeing over and over is silver bulletism where so many people with good intentions and great minds Mm -hmm. say this is the answer this is the answer to the problem And the reality is the problem that America faces when it comes to rugby is so big because America is so big, right? Right. We're vast. We're diverse. These are all the things that make America great. Right. They're also things that make building a niche sport much incredibly difficult. You know, the geographic scale, the cultural diversity those great strengths are also huge um, obstacles. And so what I realized, you know, in doing this is there are a lot of very well-meaning, very intelligent people who are dead set on their solution. And everyone else's solution is obviously inferior. Right. And what I realized is we have to take a both and or an all and approach. Like our problem is too big for one solution. Right. And so there's so many people who are like MLR is bad for USA rugby. Right. right. It, it, it brings in too many foreign players. It's bad. Other people are like, it's great for American rugby because it right. gets eyeballs. It gets awareness. It gives young players an opportunity. I have, I heard people say academies are killing the, the american rugby game i had others who say academies are the best thing for the rugby game i had others who say colleges are where it's at you don't need academies we have universities i had others you know and all of these answers just contradiction none of them are wrong that's the thing they are contradictory but they're also complementary right if we look at it that way um and and you know the reality is all of those things have to work together if American rugby is going to do anything because we can't take one approach. If we take one approach and say, we put all of our eggs in this basket, we are missing 80% of the other eggs. Right. Right. And it's never going to be good enough because this country is so vast because we're starting from such a deficit where the, the cream of the crop of our players 
are starting as 18, 20, 24 year olds. And so we're already at a deficit. We can't afford to say, this is the way, right? This is the path. There has to be multiple paths. And what that unfortunately requires is a lot of people saying, you do you and I'll do me. And we'll we'll, find ourselves in the middle somewhere. Yes. And that is not something that comes easily to human nature. Let alone Americans. (laughs) Right. And especially Americans and especially the kind of Americans who run a sport like rugby. Yeah. It's a type A sport. Yeah. And when you get 500 type A personalities trying to accomplish something, you're going to get 500 ways of doing it. And one right way and 499 wrong ways. And, And that's one thing that is crippling us yeah is you know we've got uh this mentality that there is a way that's going to fix what ails american rugby right instead of looking at and saying how can i do you know i i love what the american raptors are doing and and the thing that i really love about them was when i first reached out to peter pask the the general manager of the american raptors uh, I said, you know, I don't want to give away any trade secrets, but this is just for my own interest. How do you guys do this? And he's like, no, no, no. He said, there are no trade secrets. We want other people to hear this. We want other people to, to do this or go along with this or, or adapt it. And it's the idea that the American Raptors said, okay, we're going to do this lane. Yeah. We're not going to tell anybody else how to do their lane. They can do their lane. We're going to do this one and do it well and take this niche and fill it up, right? We're going to work on the crossover athletes. Right. They're not saying it's the only Don't way. Do this. Just go yeah. ahead. No, they're not saying everyone has to do this. They're this is our part of the game. This. Yes. Yeah. And if we had more people saying, I'm going to do this and do it well, and I'm not going to tell somebody else how to do their lane. I'm going to do my lane and do it well. They can do their lane and do it well, and it's going to ultimately serve more people in more ways and and better the game. And I think it's it's something that hopefully we will see more of. I think the advent of the World Cup in 2031 and 2033 mm-hmm. will help, but I think initially it has hurt yeah. because we've got that instant urgency. Right. Where now we're like, the roof on fire is coming in 10 years, we got to go. <laughs> and so that urgency has created even more, um, it has to be this way. right? Because we don't have time now to debate. We don't have time to do multiple things. We have to do this now. And, and it's um, sort of amped up the pressure. And pressure can produce diamonds, but it can also... Create explode, can create volcanoes. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I'm still optimistic, but I'm I'm an eternal optimist. I believe that there's enough brilliant people in American rugby at all levels that we can figure out how to take all of these lanes at once yeah. and create great things. It's what America does. I think that's one, and I love that you put it that way because it's, it's one aspect that I know for me, even personally, I've wrestled with a lot. Trying to be like, 
because again, for me, a media person, I'm always like be in front, public, public, yep. public, public, bring people in, public, public, talk, talk, talk. But I've also had come as 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 you start to speak with more people and kind of read dynamics and 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 yep. learn from others that it's not always just that. Like like you said, it's it's not a one thing effort, um, and it's not even a two or three thing effort, no. but it is absolutely a maintain your lane. I'm not going to even say stay in your lane because I think that comes off aggressive. Maintain your lane. If you have a focus, you need to make sure that you can perform that job the best, which ironically is the most rugby thing that we could ask for. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you're the fullback, be the fullback. Be don't, the fullback. Don't try to carry the ball every time. Be smart. If you're the scrum half, don't get in every ruck. You exactly. know, if, if you're the prop, Maybe don't kick as much, you know, right. know your role, know your role, be ready to do anything. That's the beauty of rugby, yes. right? Be ready to do anything if asked, but make sure you do your role and do it well. No, I, I, and, and that, that one hits. I think that if, if any lesson comes from the, the, this is, is for me, that one is the one that sticks out the most because yeah. of the fact that it, it, it stands to create what, I've always believed and hoped to occur is the rugby ecosystem because ecosystem means that every organism has to have a purpose and that purpose serves to survive the rest of the other organisms. Um, But like you said, it, it, it's been an identifier though. I do feel that uh, in this country, uh, in this country, I'm sorry, in this time period that we have now, I think has been probably the most prominent time to be able to pull that off because I think every time before that, Rugby just did not have either the distribution, the knowledge, right. the openness to be able to create that 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 system that is the democracy that that democracy. There wasn't a rugby democracy for a long time. Uh, there was, to put it respectfully, a bunch of old white dudes in a room, uh, literally know, calling the literally. shot. Literally, a bunch of old white dudes, and and some of those old white dudes are great dudes. Yeah, right? they're they're good guys. They're well-meaning, well-meaning, but good guys. But when 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 people of color, when um, gay LGBT and trans athletes, when when women, when they didn't have seats at the table, right. you weren't going to get a diversity of solutions to right. a diversity of problems uh, until you get a diversity of voices, exactly. and and I think we're beginning to see that. Um, and I talked to Jeremy Treese, who's the head of NCR, who one of the things that he said that really resonated with me was talking about how we need um, people who are going to set a vision for what rugby can be because America has always been a country that gets behind a big goal. Yeah. Right. Uh, World War Two. We have to do this. Okay. People mobilized. Um, let's get to the moon. Okay, people mobilized. Huge goal, huge target. People rally and they they make it happen. Um, and I think you know that really resonated with me of of someone saying, "This is the challenge. We're all going to fill our niche, our lane, our role, and we're going to come together and make this happen." Mm-hmm. You know, we've got ten years to be a World Cup. Let's 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 make it happen. Not just to put on an event, because we know Americans can do that. Exactly. We put on events. You you just put on events. You know that. Right. But, you know, 
let's let's set an audacious goal right. of winning the thing. And and then people begin to say, okay, let's do the impossible. I I and no, nah, that's bad. One got me wanting to go run through a wall right now for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. that is facts. And ah ah, when we're done, so much work is gonna get done. <laughs> but even more so. But two, I, to your point, I, I I think that's always it. One of the biggest concepts of the U, of America, USA, is about how can we exaggerate the exaggerated. How can we blow this up and make it? Why I always will say the USA might not be the greatest country in the world, but I think it is the greatest marketing country in the world. 100%. You know, um, there's a reason a lot of countries don't like us. It's because we do the audacious and we do it audaciously. Exactly. Uh, Exactly. Take it positive or negative. It is very factually true that we will go over top for stuff. And I think that speaks more to that identity. And I think that even creates to that element of, what is the identity of rugby in the U.S.? Yes. Where we keep trying to find it in just a play, but it's it's not a play. It's not going to be in nope. a coaching. It's not going to be in a, it's going to be in a, in a personality in yep. an aspect. It's going to be how we approach it, as opposed to what the way we approach or, yep. or what's the technique of our approach. The technique right. might be the same as everything else. Yeah, and we talked about that when you and I talked last time. Was you know you had that realization that musically the music that accompanied rugby was typically white european celtic music right and and you wanted to kind of americanize the music and the the presentation around rugby i i don't think i'm putting words in your mouth no Um, you're saying it right and i'm actually just really impressed that it was remembered and i'm just like feeling good so i'm I'm not good with compliments so like right now i'm just like trying to keep it inside and not you know, be- <laughs> of course, yeah. And I loved that because I heard that from other clubs, especially new clubs, saying we wanted to Americanize rugby, right? There's a club in Ocala, Florida mm-hmm. uh, called the Ocala Gladiators. And nice. one of the things that they said was, uh, I hear myself echoing. I'm sorry. I don't know if you can hear that. Oh, no, no. That might be me. No worries. Yeah, You're not coming from my side. So I, it's all, all right, good. Good deal. But they said, um, you know, we we wanted to Americanize rugby. We want to bring in cheerleaders. We we have guys on our team who who do, um, you know, DJing. And so we put up EDM shows and we did all these things. And I love that. That's or, awesome. or, uh Clubs like um, the South L.A. Soul who are like, we want to be true to who our community is. And we don't always see ourselves represented and, and what Roots Rugby does. And, yep. you know, those things that that really make rugby represent what the different communities in America are and and seeing that and seeing the things that you did and seeing the things that some of these clubs are doing it really speaks to the fact that American rugby is and can come into its own yeah as not you know we're not going to be New Zealand right we're not going to be England uh we're we can I believe that in time we can compete with those countries. Right. We're not going to compete with them by being them. Right. Because we're not them. Um, culturally, we're not them. Politically, we're not them. Socially, we're not them demographically. And we're not going to be. And so whatever solution we come up with, it has to be a solution that is American. Right. And not a solution that is 
a replication to or Australian. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it has to be it has to be authentically American. And that's gonna look different than what rugby has looked like in America since the sixties. Right. I mean, and, and and to see that, and that's again to see that resonance occurring now uh, is a real privilege to be able to watch, even though it has a lot of work to do. Yep. But I, it is, it's, and I and I think the other thing, and you said it again, but I, it feels I feel like it it needs to be repointed, uh, uh, needs to be said again for people is that the identity of rugby in America or the identity of America will not be tabulated as a single process no it's, it's going to be it's a prism effect basically yep. it's going to be this rainbow effect that appears like it's going to be uh, a single rugby beam that culturates but in reality it is literally everything kind of amalgamating itself yep. into each other to tie itself in and then show itself out and how that presents on the field and off the field is going to be different but one thing i will say will always be fun is to piss off enough people internationally especially the rugby purists from That's like right. england and whatnot that go oh the, these americans are trying to be all rugby they don't know anything why are you saying it like this and i say yes if exactly. we have not pissed off anybody we have not done our job right <laughs> i concur i concur i talked to marcus satavu from the hartford harpooners Yep. Um, and I loved talking to Marcus. He was one of my favorite people to talk to. You know, he's been a, a he did sevens. He did uh, rugby league for the national team. He's been just incredibly successful in business and in rugby. He's one of my favorite people to talk to. But he said, I want to bring that brash Americanness to yes. rugby. And, and understanding, as he said, not everyone's going to like that, even within the U.S. And that's okay, just like what we talked about. Exactly. It doesn't have to be one size fits all. Exactly. You know, be who we are, because that's who America is. You know, we're not one size fits all in any area of life in the United States. Absolutely. Um, and, and we're not going to be in rugby either. And so embrace that diversity. Embrace that, um, you know, shared goal. But diversity of achieving it, you know, embrace that, go with it. And that's that's how we're going to see, I think, great things happen in, in American rugby and how we're already seeing great things happen in American rugby. No, 100 percent, 100 percent. Adam, I can't tell you how much I liked and without consciously realizing it needed to have this conversation uh, big time. Where can people find your book, and then where can people also find you? Yeah, so the book is called This Is Rugby. Um, it is right here. Uh, it is on Amazon uh, under This Is Rugby. Uh, you can get it on there. We're working on getting it into secondary retailers, but right now it's on Amazon. Uh, you can get it on there. It is, I think it's a, a really fun read. I think you get a really broad broad scope of what american rugby looks like men's women's igr military um all kinds of rugby professional grassroots youth college um there's a story in there for everyone uh i i i hope you enjoy it, it i'm on instagram uh at onward rugby uh and then i also have a podcast um that is called late to the breakdown that you have been on uh, that has been on a, I a have? you have. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you have okay. been on that. Okay. Nice. 
<laughs> we'll go with it. I look. What I... <laughs> not even, no, you have not been on it. You've been in the book. I'm sorry. Yeah, okay. That's what I was about to be like. Sorry, dude, there's sorry. a whole memory that I just no. did not remember. I'm like, you okay. Not. I, I get I'm getting older. Confused. So I was like, hey, my memory's look, So I need to be man, on the podcast next. You need to be on the podcast next. I have talked <laughs> to a lot of people and I get I get confused. I'm I'm 40 and failing. Um, <laughs> you know, so but I do have a podcast called Late to the Breakdown, um, where I have interviewed a lot of the people who I've had on the book. Um, there's been a, a, a brief hiatus while I focused on getting across the finish line with the book. Why is he firing that back up? Um, and, and you will be a guest on there. Let's and go. We will, um, you know, continue to put out content there because, you know, the book is static. The book is out. It is done, but the stories continue to happen. And so I want to continue having an avenue to, to share those stories and allow people uh, to share theirs and, and be a part of that conversation. No, I love that. I love it. I love it. I love it, man. Adam, yo, we're going to do this again because yeah. as always, there's always something to add into it later on and to be able to see as the updates go and what more gets learned. But in, until that moment, I, I truly appreciated this. I think yeah, this was, I, I am so happy that you took this mission on and that uh, you need to know that you've done something that is historically set for the rest of the time and it is if, if anything is left and this is your legacy uh, you've topped uh, a lot of stuff obviously i think you're going to continue on and do more but just know uh it's well worth it and uh we're appreciative and, I appreciate and so that. Much more. thank you so much for having me on big fan of the show big fan of what you're doing love it continue to support it and uh i, I really appreciate it Yo, Adam, thank you so much for coming on, guys. I hope you guys get a chance to read the book. Absolutely get yours in today. And on top of that, while you guys are waiting, definitely check out some of our other episodes. We talked with Catherine Aversanu last week, one of the partners for the HBCU Rugby Classic, and, of course, head coach for Howard University Rugby. Um, we had Kasech. Uh, Cassette Shiranganji, uh, founder of Kiro Sports, one of the major rugby sports promoters in the U.S. and Zimbabwe. Uh, we had Takunda Rusiki, captain for the Howard women's rugby team. And we had so many great guests over the last two years. 71 episodes today. Guys, we're making some headway, and uh, I'm so proud of you guys. But most importantly, I hope that you guys know that I hope that you're happy. I hope that you're healthy. And of course, most importantly, most importantly, most importantly, I hope that you know that you are highly favored. Until next time, cheers.